0: Hey listener, it's Dan Nathan here. You're listening to a special audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a daily video show I do with my co-host Guy Adami live at 1 p.m. Monday through Thursday. Today we talked about Fed comments spooking the markets, the yield curve, and commodities. If you like what you hear, follow us at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page. You'll never miss an episode.
1: What's up, people? Top of the hour, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. It's April 5th. Now, you're saying to yourself, Guy, what's the symbol for April? I'll tell you what it is. It's J. J5, people. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is because today's market call, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, Open Exchange, because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. J five market lower. Hello, Dan Nathan.
0: Oh, Guyadami. I mean, I didn't know that J is April, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners and viewers really care about that. Dripping sarcasm from you
1: right there. <laughs> no, I like it to May. By the way, just saying.
0: You know what's really funny? You know, your intro to markets was really through the futures market, I know, and that's why those things are embedded in your brains. If you ask me what 15 teenies is, I would tell you 0.9375. Because sure. when I came into the market, stocks were quoted in 16th. We called them teenies. You had to know what 15 16ths were, right? You couldn't just know quarters and halves, right, Guy? that
1: You had to get into the the minutiae, as they say, and I was able to rattle those off. And then, of course, the world changed and they decided we no longer need eighths and quarters and teenies. We can just do it in pennies and tenths of cents. But we're neither here nor there. Um, I think, Dan, up you're back with us, good, because you were breaking up. Let's get into it, Dan, because obviously the market's moving today and the market appears to be moving on certain headlines that are coming out. And we'll talk about it. We'll look at some charts. But here we go. Lale Brainerd sees balance sheet reduction soon at a I mean, they choose to use these words. I mean these are not just haphazard words. Rapid pace. And I think that's got the market a little spooked today, Dan Nathan.
0: Well, it's pretty interesting when you see this. So We have Fed governor here, and I think she's going to be the vice chair of the the Fed here and making some pretty hawkish comments. I mean, this is probably some of the most hawkish stuff that we've seen over the last few months when the Fed kind of shifted their stance a little bit. And you see, I mean, they're just going to, I mean, the balance sheet reduction as soon as May, I think that's the thing that's kind of been pushed up. And, you know, the question I have, Guy, is if you're an investor and you're managing big money, you know this. These are qualitative inputs, right? But you're already doing a lot of back channeling you're already talking to a lot of strategists and economists and former fed officials and you know that this is on their brain but when you see the sort of reaction that we saw in the s p 500 the knee-jerk right to go lower that way in like a one percent in a straight line you know to me that tells you that people are not in charge algos are in charge. And then for the first time, you know, we're seeing nearly an 80% probability if you look at the CME FedWatch tool, which you and I look at pretty closely, because I do think it's interesting day-to-day or week-to-week to kind of track the probabilities of the rate hikes. Right now, they're saying 50, which a lot of us are thinking for the hike in May. So my quick question back to you is, who's in charge here as it relates to the markets? Because you and I know that 50 Bps seems kind of likely. The CME FedWatch tool is telling that. The people that we're talking are telling Why is it that the S&P 500 could turn like a dime like that when a person comes out and says it who's in the know?
1: I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, so much computer-driven stuff, picking up on headlines, market moves up and down on the back of those things. I think devoid of news or devoid of headlines, what it appears to me over the last decade, if not longer, the market wants to go higher. I think that's pretty true. And obviously, once in a while, you get headlines that are bullish headlines, but- When these sort of tape bombs, that's lingo we used to use back in the day, come out. And I got to tell you something. It's a bit of a tape bomb that she dropped. Obviously, you see what happens. And to your point, I think it is machine driven. I'll say this. Who's in charge of the market? At the end of the day, I still think it comes down to Fed policy. And Fed policy, to your point, Dan, pivoted, not in a small way, in a huge way back in November and December of last year.
0: Yeah, it did. All right. Let's look at the S&P futures, though. Let's look at a longer term chart here, Guy. We have a one year. And you and I, you know, we draw this line just below 4,600 here. That was the breakout in October. Things felt pretty good before we got that little Omicron scare at the end of November, and that's why we're kind of targeting that range up to about 4,600. That's where the S&P futures really topped out twice in February, they just got above that. We're using my friend Carter Braxton, where it's 150 day moving average right there. And it seems like we're making a little flag after that nearly what, 10, 11% rip in about 10 or 11 trading days. I mean, to me, I just don't see the case for 4,800 in the spooze anytime soon, Based on where we are in the calendar, I know 15 of the last 16 Aprils have been higher. How many of those Aprils has the Fed been this hawkish about, you know, about their monetary policy given all of the uncertainty that we're seeing around the world, Guy?
1: The seasonality thing, I can wrap my head around year end seasonality, quarter end seasonality, those types of things. Individual months, they never really did it for me because I think yeah. to your point, each month they have different set of circumstances. I'll say this about this chart. You see, we were in a pretty steep downtrend from the end of December to early January. That downtrend was broken in early March, traded back up and through the hundred and fifty day. Now here we are, seemingly smack dab of it. That to me is the battleground. That's where we're gonna fight. I think we break it again. And that downtrend line, yeah. I think we're going to go take a look at where that downtrend line comes in. And if you start to do the math, it probably comes in around 41.50. I'll say again, 4,000 to me, not because it's 4,000, because it makes sense on a number of different metrics, but 3,750 is a level that I keep coming back to in terms of the S&P 500. And when comments like that come out today, that's obviously sort of bolstering that, that potential mm-hmm. outcome.
0: No doubt. And let's just let's keep looking at this chart for a second. okay? so, Guy, given everything that you and I know about the potential for corporate earnings to disappoint by inflation to stay high, by the Fed to stay hawkish, by the probability of Europe going into a recession and probably us not far behind. And we're going to talk about the yield curve. You and I are probably not smart enough to interpret what that means for the economy or for the probability of a bear market in stocks. I mean, I'll just say this. I look at this chart the S&P futures, I see one up and two down. That's just what I see, right? So do the math, right? From 4,600 up to 4,800, the prior high, but I easily see 4,600 down to 4,200. And then if things really get nuts, right? You get your 3,800 or 3,750, just the risk reward of playing for that move back to the prior highs just doesn't seem good right now. I agree with that. and But, you know, I've agreed
1: with that now for the last three or four weeks. And, and I think both of us would suggest, I mean, at least for me, I thought we'd see a bit of a bounce. I didn't think the bounce would be of this magnitude. And now you can start to look at things and explain it away. But all the things that we were concerned about when the market was selling off, none of them have gone away. As a matter of fact, some of them have made, just been made worse. So we'll see how the market reacts. I think it's important once again, and people say you'll sound like broken records. no. We're trying to be consistent. That 150-day moving average, which was lower left to upper right until early February, now flattening out, potentially starts to roll over. I will tell you, when that happens, that has a long tail in terms of how low and how long the market can sell off for, Dan Nathan.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Right, let's look at the NASDAQ 100 futures here, because this one is kind of interesting. You just mentioned the 150 day as serving as near-term support for the S&P 500. For the NASDAQ 100 here, it is serving as technical resistance. The other thing that's really important, you, got, you and I have highlighted this on Market Call on many occasions over the last you know couple months or so, the relative underperformance of the NASDAQ. We know that the biggest names in the NASDAQ are also the biggest names in the S&P 500, but they make up a much greater percentage than the NASDAQ 100. You look at how far it still is off of its all-time highs made back in November where the S&P made a new high in early January. And you say to yourself, this one to me seems problematic. This is the one that probably leads the broader market lower. You and I were just talking offline about the volatility. Forget the mega cap names. Look at what's going on under the hood. Yesterday, it looked like risk on, man. All of those stocks that are down 50, 60% in the NASDAQ were all up screaming up five, eight, nine, ten 10% or something like that. We're all down that much today. I don't see that as particularly bullish. And if the case still is that the five or six biggest names guy in the tech market are going to hold everything up, I just don't buy it. That just doesn't make for a great return environment anytime soon.
1: Well, that's that. those names are what got us from 13,000-ish and rallied us 2,000 basically NASDAQ yeah. points to this current level we're sitting at. But to your point, those names have exhausted themselves. I mean, look at the move NVIDIA's had. I know that's not as big a portion, but you understand what I'm saying. Look at the move in Apple. Look at the move in Amazon since they announced that stock split and the stock buyback, which, by the way, was not a big deal in terms of $10 billion is a lot of money. Not when you look at it in terms of the market cap of Amazon. But, you know, that stock rallied from basically $2,800 to $3,350, which is basically where we've been sideways for quite some time. So my point is all these names that comprise this have bounced just to levels that we've seen before Now you think the next leg is coming. At least I do. And this chart, and I think you would agree with me, actually looks worse than the S&P chart that we just looked at. Why? Because you never had a validation of a new high in the the NASDAQ back in December, January. You traded up to and seemingly are stopping at the 150-day moving average. And it is now rolling over in a meaningful way, Dan Nathan.
0: Yeah, well, I guess, and also the other part of the story is expectations for earnings, Q1 earnings, Q2 guidance, or whatever visibility they have beyond Q2. We're going to start getting that in the next few weeks. And I'll just say, with the relative performance of these big names that we're seeing, expectations are high. I know that sounds crazy, but if the stocks are actually outperforming the broad market or its peers, that means investors are set up for positive news. If they get negative news, it's that much worse to the downside side. And I'll bring you back to Micron that we saw earnings last week from. The stock had been down at least 30% from its November highs. The stock actually put up a good quarter. They gave good guidance. The stock was trading in light volume and aftermarket up 5%. By the end of the next trading day, it was down on the day and given all of that back and then some. So to me, that could be the story if stocks are able to kind of hold in here until we get into Earning season. But here's one guy. You know, when you were coming up in the business, you know, mm. you and this chap named Charles Dow, I think you guys penned this white paper. It was called the Dow Theory. I don't know why they left your name off of it. But at the time, you guys were saying that because, you know, industrials and transports were such big parts of the economy, this is what, about 100 years ago or something like that, that you guys figured out that if the Dow transports, don't confirm new highs in the Dow Industrials, or they show relative performance that's negative to the Industrials, that that's bad for the broad market here. Here's a headline from CBS Market Watch here. Guy, I didn't know they're still in business, but good for you guys to stick it out here. Look at the transports here. You know They've gone down about five or 6% in a straight line. They're down at least 10% from its all-time highs that were made in 2021, have not made any new highs. You see that kind of double top from the last six to nine months or so. What are the transports telling you? And why is it different this time all of these decades later, Guy?
1: Well, it's you know, it is a little bit different this time. Obviously, our country was built on railroads and then obviously trucking and moving things around the country. They are less important now, but still vitally important in terms of the things that we do. You look at the IYT, basically 50% of the IYT is Union Pacific, I think about 17%, UPS about 17%, and then to a lesser extent, CSX Corp., another railroad, then throw FedEx 5%, and you got half of this index. But you look about the underperformance of Federal Express for the last year or so. I mean, UPS has been a monster. It seems to be rolling over here as well. And railroads were all on fire, and they seem to have topped out. What it's telling us is again, very economically sensitive names. If these start to roll over to your earlier point about earnings, the economy, what does that mean for the broader economy? So, Although it's not nearly as important as was when I penned it back with Mr. <laughs> Dow, I called him. Mr. Dow was a few years older than I was. It is still vitally important, and this is a sideways action for almost a year. Again, we tested the upper end of it a few times, seemingly failed. Now this 240 level is critical we're not there yet but
0: keep it on your radar screen yeah Mm -hmm. man all right well like what i did
1: there mr dow i I know i i
0: did i did like what you did there we got to talk about rates a little bit here because this is one of the things i think that again we talked about that reaction in the stock market to brainerd's comments but we also saw some action in the u.s treasury yield market guy dami
1: yes we did and we're seeing these yields look You know, I've been on this bus for a while, and it was a volatile one. But now, seemingly, we found a foothold here. Somewhere between, I don't know, in the 10-year yields, 235 and 250. And we'll see what happens. You look at this chart. This is a long-term chart. I mean, you see it on the bottom. This goes back to 1985. You know, I was probably 20 years or so into my career, and here we are. I think it's time for a pause here. But what I will tell you is, Dan... If we get meaningfully above 2.6, it's going to be a pretty quick move to the upside. And again, this is because the Federal Reserve, again, watch me rail, is just so behind the curve. And it's not going to be suggestive of an economy that's doing better. Yeah. It's going to be suggestive of inflation, which they are having a hard time Getting under wraps.
0: All right. Well, let's look at this. So we're looking at this chart right here. I and mean, it's a tweet thread. And there's a guy named Tavi Costa. Oh, and he's thread. A good, I like that. Yeah. He's a good follow here. And, you know, I just responded to a tweet that he put out this morning with this chart. And he's saying that he's saying exactly what you did, you know, that we could see a quick move higher. Now, here's one of the things. Here's one of the reasons why we bring in Carter Braxtonworth. You and I like to talk, 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 talk. He likes to draw lines and look at pictures and kind of make some kind of you know decisions based on what he thinks is more quantitative data here, right? And so you look at this chart that Tavi drew here. Now, you could have easily connected a bunch of other dots, right? Like on this sort of thing. And then the one that we see from 2018, okay, that topped out, that would have been above the prior range. So Would have already broken out all right and it would have been a failed breakout because what did we see happen we saw the 10 year u.s treasury yield at the highs go from three and a quarter down to basically zero so i look at a comment like this and i'm not again i said it you see my response so i'm not trolling here i'm just saying like all of this stuff is a bit freaking arbitrary okay so my view is let's put some data back into this not just looking at the charge is that the fed's balance sheet what's different this time is nearly 10 trillion dollars now brainerd said they're going to start running it off I don't believe that, and you don't really believe that is never going meaningfully lower here. So, what happens when we have the debt levels where we are, we have inflation where it is here? Okay, rates can't go higher. We can't service it, right? Like, so that's my point here. So I don't know, you tell me, I like again, let's go to this next chart here. I want to look at a 20-year chart of the US Treasury Yield. This is not a log chart, but again, draw the lines however you want. Mm-hmm. I drew it like this, and it looks like it's about ready to, you know, get to a really key level. Do you think it's going? meaningfully. My level is your 2.65 level in the 10-year right. guy and then it fails there and maybe yeah. it goes back to 2%. And well, by saying you're not trolling, I mean, that does, it's like when you say,
1: you know, I, what, what, I don't mean to insult you or no. So you're we, saying
0: I'm trolling. Is right, that what you're so saying?
1: Basically, Isn't that this is not like a Will Ferrell thing? You know, just by saying it doesn't mean yeah. you're not. But, well, this is the chart to look at. I mean, again, yeah. this is a 20 year chart and this is a very well defined downtrend and we're right as Carter would say, to the penny. I understand what you're saying in terms of yields can't go meaningfully higher because how devastating that would be. I agree with that part, but I don't agree with the part that says they can't go higher because I do think that the Fed you know, might think they can control bond yields. I don't think they can. So I agree with you in terms of the meaningfulness of rates going higher and how devastating that would be yeah. just in terms of a balance sheet, to your point, that is, you know, North of $9 trillion and the debt load associated with that, and just trying to service the debt in a higher interest rate environment. They better. Hope rates don't go higher or we're going to have a real problem on our hands, Dan, Nathan.
0: Yeah. Well, I also thought it was interesting that Brainerd talked that they're keeping an eye on the the two ten spread, which obviously recently mm. inverted. And again, you and I are not economists. We are not strategists. We're kind of like just kind of talking heads here. But let's look at this. We decided to plot. Well, you know what? I, I'm with you.
1: We are talking heads. And I yeah. agree with you 100%. But yet, if you listen to some of the things that we've said over the last couple of years that we've been doing this, and longer if you watch Fast Money... We seem to be more in tune with what's going on in terms of the economy and interest rates than the people that theoretically should know infinitely more than we do. And the fact that just, they're just coming around to now the fact that, oh, wait a second, we have a bit of a problem is a problem for me. But please continue.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. I'm not, you know, I'm not coming at you, bro. Um, I mean, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm doing what I do. You know, my head's talking here a little bit. All right, let's look at this 20-year chart, though, because we plotted the 210 spread versus the S&P 500. And we know that over the last 20 years, there have been two inversions going back to 2019. We saw that there, and it was only briefly inverted here. But within, I don't know, six months, we had an S&P 500 is down 35%. Again, we get it. Black Swan event, pandemic, 100-year storm, Okay, fine. Let's go back to 2006, where the yield curve spent some time inverted. And let me tell you something market participants weren't too bothered by it at the time for a while. But within about 18 months or so, we had a market that basically crashed, an economy that was recessed. Is that what you would say? Is like kind of like how you would say someone's concussed. Would you say it's recessed? Okay. Mm-hmm. No, and okay. again, we had an SP down 50%. So, you know, I know, I know, I hear that thing all the time is that, you know, the yield curve in it, it catches you know every, every recession, but there's dozens. For every one that it catches, there's dozens that it doesn't. I don't know, man. Tell me about this chart here because we inverted. It might get steeper very quickly, but does that mean that this chart is going to converge where the stock market meets the yield curve? You know what's interesting? I, again,
1: it's different this time. You hear that expression all the time. What's different this time over this last 20 years of this chart is inflation was not even a concern wasn't even on anybody's radar screen over this period of time was never discussed we seemingly discussed it on everything we do and we discuss it on fast money all the time and that's just over the last 6 months prior to that it's never come up now they have an inflation problem the problem before was not having inflation now the problem is they have too much of it that's what's different this time and they have to move heaven and earth to try to combat that so something's got to give here Dan either this yield curve that in, and again illustrated in white, is going to back up and get back to some semblance of normalcy, or the S&P is going to sell off
0: in a meaningful way. You know where I come down. I do. I do. And, you know, listen, you know, you and I, we like to kind of talk about how we're expressing our views in the markets. You've been fairly steadfast well before the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but you've been talking about it for months and months that energy was a thing and Mm -hmm. it was gonna be moving higher specifically, I know you were talking about crude, but you've also been talking about nat gas. Let's talk about crude here because, you know, it had that really steady climb, okay, after it sold off really hard, we had that SPR release after Omicron, this was in late November, early December, that was the low, it sold off at least 25% from the highs. And then it really just, from early December, right until the end of February where it went parabolic, it was a very orderly move here. You thought we'd get that rip. You thought we'd get a pullback. It's holding that uptrend, which is a really nice uptrend. What's your take here? And I know that you can't, Nostradamus can't look out and you can't see when, you know, this situation when Ukraine is going to get fixed because that's a big issue here. But what's the trade right here in crude guy? Stay long.
1: And again, I know that's, I think a lot of people are now sort of wishy-washy on the whole thing. They've seen this big sell-off, subsequent bounce, and now the sell-off again on a number of different things. Another SPR release. Again, I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but I just think that's sort of, I think you're, you're trying to pull rabbits out of a hat that doesn't exist. This trend line is the important trend line, though, Dan. And I think if we were to breach and close below the trend line, which probably now comes in right around $100, as fate would have it, round numbers, then maybe you see the 150-day moving average, which is probably going to come in around 86 by that point. And we'll see what happens when we get there. But I think there are a few more chapters left in this. And I think Crude, look, do I think we're going to take out those recent highs? Yes, I do. But I'll tell you this. I definitely think we're going to get pretty close in the meantime. So I think we go north of 130. But I think you can play it now between 100 and 125. I think we take out the
0: top end of that range. All right. Let's be like Lebowski here. Let's tie the whole room together Did he play here. for the Rangers in the 70s? Or are you talking no. about the big Lebowski? The big Lebowski. What, Lebowski. Okay, Remember that sorry. rug? It really tied the room together. He was really disappointed about that. All right. Let's do this. Okay. So we talked about rates. We talked mm-hmm. about the Fed tightening. We have talked about uh, what's going on with crude oil. Let's look at the US dollar index, you call it the Dixie. I think you spell it IE, I do it with a Y here. Here's a one year chart. Take the Dixie off, which, you know, US dollar, it's kind of hard for a lot of stock market investors to kind of figure this thing out or so, right? But like the way I really learned about the dollar, I lived in London for a couple of years in 2000, 2001, and the euro was just becoming a thing, right? And it was versus the dollar. And that was something that I was kind of focused on. But it wasn't until, Guy, after the financial crisis and after all these bouts of QE, and then they decided to come off ZERP and they started to end QE, and what happened? Rates went higher, the dollar went higher, right? And QE was really meant to kind of push down the value of the dollar. Look at this chart here. If you take the Dixie off of it, that's a great-looking chart, right? Mm-hmm. The a really steady uptrend. We had that consolidation December, January, February. We broke out. We're consolidating again, making a flag here. What's your take on this short-term move in the Dixie? Because it feels like it wants to go above 100, and then we'll take a look at the long-term.
1: Yeah, the longer term is going to tell the tale. But if you look at this in a sideways action for the better part of a month, we've seen that before on the duration of this chart, and it's all basically – then clarified or manifested in the next leg higher. I think that's what we're going to see here. And we can look at the longer term chart if you want. The reasons why, well, you mentioned Europe at the top of this thing. When you combine the countries of the Eurozone, Dan, it's about 450 million people, which is bigger than our population. And I think it has a GDP, I want to say, either side of $30 trillion, which is significantly more than our 22 or so trillion dollar GDP. Why do I mention that? Because it's meaningful. And you said it before. If they're slowing down or if they're going into a recession, that's going to be negative for the euro. By definition, it's going to be positive for the dollar. On top of which, if this market sell-off like I think is going to happen, does happen, you will see a flight to quality in the form of the U.S. dollar. So that's all dollar bullish, in my opinion. And I think we go back to levels we last saw in the late 2016, early 2017 which gets us to about 104 or thereabouts,
0: Dan, Nathan. Yeah. All right. So I want to go back to that 2014 period, because that's when the Fed signaled that they were coming off the zero interest rate policy, that they were going to basically start to taper their quantitative easing. And what did we see? We saw the Dixie go from 80 to 100. I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons why it's different. This time guy, one of them, I think, specifically, like you mentioned, the potential for Europe to go into recession. But I'll just say this. Think about what was going down in 2014. Europe was not in a great place. Remember that credit crisis that started here in the US in 08, 09, that sort of thing? Well, it started rolling its way through Europe. And so now this is where we tie it all together, right? So we have rates higher. We have a Fed tightening. We have dollar higher. You know what also happened? Crude oil got absolutely killed in 15 and 16. It sold off 65%. So I guess what I'm saying is going back to the crude thing is if we were to have some sort of resolution with Ukraine and Russia, and maybe there's a rebuild and massive rebuild, of Ukraine and maybe there's not as as sharp as sanctions you know what I mean on Russian oil and gas and that sort of thing you know maybe you see this thing come in that was my kind of quick take here on that but here's another one guy that you had a couple really good tactical calls over the last year and a half talk to me about gold here because I think you're probably going to say okay we had that double top we had that move when it was the height of uncertainty just a couple months ago it's pulled back here we have a little bit of an uptrend what's the play in gold here
1: well Again, those double tops are terrifying. And we addressed it when it happened. And I said, you know, if you just looked at this and we're just and you try to be non-dogmatic and just looked at it, you say, oh, my God, major double top, it's going to sell off. And that's exactly what happened. The way to play it, well, I'll tell you, the real way to play it is to wait for those double tops to be breached. And then you can get long on the subsequent breakout to the upside. I know a lot of people won't do that. Or you can just sort of play this 150-day moving average in that trend line, again, I know it's probably counter to what you think. I think gold's got another leg higher. I don't know what the catalyst is going to be. Those double tops scare me, but maybe the sell-off we've seen is enough. And we'll see what happens quickly, though, because we have a couple viewer questions. Eddie Trevino asked about oil. I think we addressed that. And we have a good question from William Chaska, not Chaska, the drink, by the way. Given your projection, Guy and Dan, what sectors do you like? I'll answer quickly. I loved Big Cap Pharma. Big Cap Pharma doing extraordinarily well. Eli Lilly's making new all-time highs. Bristol-Myers finally breaking out. Merck getting off the mat first time in a long time. So I like Big Cap Pharma. And I also like, and I've said this for a while, the resource trade, which has been extraordinarily volatile. Dan, anything quickly to answer William's question.
0: Yeah, I mean listen, and I've said this consistently, what I'm looking to add if we were to have a sharper sell-off, I was really hoping for the S&P to get down more than 20% and the Nasdaq to be down more than 25%. And I'll just tell you my trade in the equity market very simply is the QQQ. You hear me talk about the concentration of those five or six names, I do think they're going to show good relative strength. I'd like to see them get sloppy. That would be my indication of capitulation and then you get the benefit of a rally over the next year two three whatever of all those names have been cut in half and then more so so that's what i look to pick up when things get really ugly the qqq nasdaq 100 i
1: like that we also had a question about the gold silver ratio you don't see that all the time dan nathan but let's take a look just for s's and g's as they say slide it earl i would like to hear about silver if not today maybe this week well let's talk about it You know, people will say that silver is the place to go when gold's doing well. Let's play silver for a myriad of different reasons. I think the worst thing that happened to silver happened in the peak of the whole Reddit WSB crowd when they sort of figured out GameStop, they figured out AMC, and they said, what's the next thing we can go after? And they went after silver. And you saw that huge move to the upside, albeit short-lived, and a lot of people got blown out. I think silver really hasn't recovered since then. I'll tell you, silver is actually an industrial metal. It actually has an end use. And I think to the extent that gold can get back on its horse, I think you can see a pretty significant move in silver. I'm not saying we're getting back to $50, but I would submit we can go either side of sort of 30 to 35 So I like silver here. This is the gold-silver ratio. This is a very Carter-Braxton worth. But what it's saying is I think silver has some room to catch up to the upside. Shasa 87206990. I didn't realize there were that many of you out there. Back to yeah. you, Dan.
0: Well, I'm more of a Fresca guy, guy. So you know, whatever. But you know, Carter did send us this chart. By the way, we don't know how to make you know ratio charts here. But I, I guess if you pull, you know, you make really good case for silver as it relates to the industrial uses. The only problem you have is the relative underperformance has been so bad for mm-hmm. so long it cannot get out of its own way. And I'll go back to that that Reddit Wall Street bets thin guy. The fact that they couldn't get it going in the ETF, they really tried. Tells you that maybe there's just some underlying resistance in this thing. There maybe is a long time seller. All right, let's go or to du- maybe
1: there bigger forces at work, but that's probably for the market call. Conspiracy theories, which will drop Sunday nights at midnight. Anyway, back to you,
0: Dan. Yeah, let's look real quickly at digital gold, the Bitcoin. There's a Bitcoin conference going on in Miami. Usually, these things people get all geeked up about all the the tokens there, and you see um, a nice little bid. I'll just say that you know Bitcoin has kind of held. However, you want to draw that uptrend some late 2020 or from late 2020 here. It's held that. You see where it is. This time around, it was in the mid-30s. Last summer, it was around... 30,000 where it found support. So it's making higher lows. We're having some short-term resistance at that 150-day that was about 48,500. I always like to see how these things trade into these big events and how they trade out of them. The one that I'm also really focused on and I know that you know that I like to pick up when I see it below 2,500 is Ethereum. And this one, I think, you know, again contending with some near-term resistance at that 150-day, but it's had a really nice move from just a couple months ago at about 2250 up to about 3450 here and this one's also interesting because we know that a lot of people are excited about the move from a proof of work guy to a proof of stake i know that's one of the big major pillars of your bull case for ethereum but this one again i also think is at a resistance level breakdown level from january and maybe we see some pullback below 3000 maybe i mean 2500 was just trading there earlier in the month i like what you did there very strong I don't know what Brendan
1: is texting. You me. Know, we talk about proof of stake and Brendan, one of our crack producers, said not ribeye steak. I love that. See, I get these little comments during the show, Dan. Isn't it wonderful? Mr. But listen, it's that time. What did I say at 1 o'clock? I said we're putting 30 minutes on the clock. Well, I'm looking at my clock and we actually went about 90 seconds over. But it was fun. And that was today's market call. Thanks to our sponsors, CME Group, where risk, in fact, does meet opportunity and open exchange If you dug this, if you enjoyed it, and I know you did, tune in tomorrow, same bad time, same bad place for you Adam West fans out there. Later. See ya.